Muppetsational? Muppetsational? 25 seconds to recording, Muppetsational. Ms. Turner? Oh, I haven't got my makeup on yet. It's a podcast. Miss Chandler? I haven't had my snack yet. We have sentient bread by the stage. Mr. Chandler? You don't tell me what to do, Scooter. Hello and welcome to season two of Muppetsational, the UK's biggest Muppet show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's season two, episode one, starring the nervous and funny Don Knotts. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Yay! Hi guys, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) It's been so long. It's been forever. I'm so excited to be back. Oh, uh, me too, and I've already forgotten how to do this. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And we've finally come back from our break to restart this wonderful, wonderful podcast. We told you we would. (laughs) Yes, and we didn't lie. (laughs) (laughs) We invested too much in this show to give up so quickly. (laughs) Jade bought us pop shields for Christmas. (laughs) You are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) How's everybody doing? I'm good. How are you both? Yeah, no, I'm good, thank. It's good to be back and recording. Hopefully I'll actually be able to say my words this season. I don't think you will. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, 50-50 chance. 50-50 <laughs> chance. Uh, just a quick update. I have still not started to read uh, <laughs> of Muppets and Men over our substantial break. However, somebody else on the podcast has. Yes, yeah, surprise, surprise. I've started to read of Muppets and Men. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to have a bet going, it, it, yeah, it would be just. Yes. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> lost any money on this. <laughs> no, well, apart from you, because you had to buy the book, I just found it. Yes, but it's beautiful, and I don't mind. And I'm, you know, I'm not fortunate enough to be graced by stumbling upon a valuable <laughs> first edition of some beautiful Muppets book on the streets of London. But uh, yeah, no, it's all good. I'm happy. <laughs> the streets are paved with gold down here. <laughs> I don't even remember how we kick off, actually get into the episode. I had to go and listen back to an episode to remember what the introduction was. (laughs) Well, I can start us off with a bit of production information, if you like. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) I think that's how we used to do it. Why not? So this episode was originally broadcast on the 5th of February, 1978. It was written by Jerry Jewell. Joseph A. Bailey, Jim Henson, and Don Hinckley, and it was directed by Peter Harris. So, already some new exciting names in the writing lineup, which I'm sure we'll get into as this episode and season progresses. And Emma, please tell me about Don Knotts because I still don't really know anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, Don Knotts. So, he was a comedic actor of film and television, and he's probably most known for his role in The Andy Griffith Show, a 1960 sitcom where he played Deputy Sheriff Barney Fife. He won three Emmys for the show. Really? He also starred... (laughs) It was a different time. (laughs) It was... Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> he also starred in Free's Company as Ralph Furley. And then he kind of guested in a lot of like American TV shows like Matlock, The Love Boat, Scooby Doo. Who wasn't on The Love Boat? (laughs) (laughs) No one. (laughs) He, um, in 2000, he got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and he died in 2006. Oh. Oh. What an odd way to phrase that, Emma. It's a very interesting comic persona he has. I, I, I've never interacted with Don Knotts' work before, apart from The Simpsons referencing him at one point or another uh, and doing a sort of slight parody of him. Um, have either of you seen him do anything before? No. Not knowingly. Um, although, I guess there's a chance maybe he guest starred on something that I've seen but left little impression <laughs> A murder she wrote, perhaps. Probably. <laughs> Was Don Knotts a homosexual? Oh, I don't know, Emma. Did you did you see this? Emma, click on that personal life section oh, of the Wikipedia. No. Well, three spouses, but I mean, yeah, huh. obviously that doesn't necessarily mean not. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't want to presume sexuality from behaviour, but you know. <laughs> No, fair enough. Oh, I've just checked on his IMDb and he's in Pleasantville, which I've definitely seen. I'm assuming you two have seen Pleasantville as well. I have. And now you I mean, I haven't seen it for a long time. It says he was the TV repairman. Oh, that makes sense. Because he's the person who, you know, transports Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire like into Pleasantville. And that's such a good bit of casting because obviously he's such an evocative piece of 1950s, 1960s television. Yeah, that's great casting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's quite cool. Okay, so I have seen him perform. Yeah. <laughs> One thing. <laughs> One thing. Look, if it was good enough for A. Marie, it got her tripping. Oh my God, Lewis. <laughs> wow. <laughs> A nice timely reference. So, so timely. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a bop like that is timeless. It... <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Right, okay, let's get back on track. No, that's the first time. Before we start the episode properly, I just need to tell you a very quick story about how I watched the episode because it does rather colour, especially the first couple of sketches and songs of the episode for me. Okay. So I suppose, in a way, not unsimilar probably to most of Don Knotts' work, how I watched this episode felt like I was in a terrible sitcom. I had literally just sat down to watch it when a squirrel decided to attack the bird food that I put out in a little coconut shell for the birds. And basically, I was then locked in a war with this squirrel of trying to get the squirrel to leave the bird food alone <laughs> so that I could watch the Muppet show. And it was literally escalating in the way that it would with an old man, you know, the granddad figure in a sitcom who's at war with some animal in You're his like yard. You're like Baby Jack-Jack in Incredibles 2 with that raccoon. Yes! <laughs> Exactly. Me, baby Jack-Jack. I was also feeling quite like Doug from Up and Doug Days with the squirrel. Just like, squirrel! And this squirrel was relentless. It would not stop coming to try and take the bird food. At one point, I just decided I was going to ignore it and try to watch The Muppet Show. At which point, it somehow managed to get the coconut off of its little hook and had the coconut in its mouth (laughs) and was running away with it. 
And I literally, I was losing my goddamn mind. And then the fact that I then had to watch The Gingerbread Men followed by Windmills in My Mind, I actually, I was at a tipping point where I was like, am I just done with this forever? Am I just done with the chaos that is The Muppet Show? Because I've got a squirrel to contend with. So yes, that was my frame of mind when I was watching this abomination of an opening. Yeah, so it's just, a bit of... I don't blame you for having a crisis anyway watching yes. this episode, let alone all of the other <laughs> features that are going on. All right, let's jump into the episode so we can get on to this horror. So the first difference that we find from season one happens completely immediately. We have a, a pre-title sequence. We have a cold open. A cold it's open. so exciting. It's like SNL. <laughs> I literally gasped. I was like, oh! <gasps> They're doing a cold open. This is this is so modern. This is so fresh. Yeah, it's it's a really nice way to dip into the show, and you know that sort of feeling of being backstage is such a nice, cool part of the Muppet Show. So to actually land straight into a dressing room feels like a really cool thing. And if this is as much scoot as we get per episode, I'm incredibly happy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Scooter was perfectly inoffensive in this episode, Lewis. Exactly, because he turned up, he had one line, and then he left <laughs> until the very end. <laughs> if this is all they do, if this is all Scooter does, then maybe by the end of the season I will be on the Scooter Scooter. Okay, that's good. I mean, I imagine he's probably going to do some more than this, but yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the gag was pretty good. Yeah, although I don't know how you felt, Emma, but seeing Gorgon Heap that early in the season <laughs> did also, again, in my agitated state, I was like, what is happening? I know. I was like, wow, I didn't think we were going to see Gorgon Heap again. So I was like, okay, <laughs> this is where we're starting. What I love with uh, the sort of way that that shot was set up is with that feather sort of, you know, popping up mm. over the top of the like the screen. You weren't quite sure whether it was, you know, obviously there was going to be some sort of gag. But because of the feather, you didn't know whether that was actually going to be like, a headdress on top of someone yes. that might be coming out of the Muppet <laughs> quite naturally. Turns out it was Gorgon Heap wearing a little headdress. But you just never know with a Muppet whether a feather is going to be, you know, attached in some way or if it's just some kind of uh, accoutrement. It's uh, it's very uh, Meredith Marks in The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, just like random feathers poking out of different bits of outfit, which I enjoyed. There were quite a lot of feathers in this episode as well, because I'm not jumping ahead, but the beast of the week sketch that little thing was quite feathery and furry maybe this year they haven't invested in explosions uh, that feathers. they need to use by the end of it <laughs> yeah they've invested in feathers <laughs> to keep a count as they go through more on feather yeah. watch and straight after this cold open we go into the brand new title sequence Yay! It's so good. It looks amazing, especially in comparison to the season one version of it, which... We no longer have some rickety yeah. robot puppets lifting an arm, oh, I know, at <laughs> like, <the> flatly. <laughs> <laughs> like, when they're seven hours into their shift and it's a small world, just, like, <laughs> creakily moving up and down. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was quite nice, though, to see on the chorus line, Mildred and George. Yes. I was like, yeah, you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, George the janitor once again getting himself on stage. Like <laughs> he's still in showbiz. He's loving it. He loves the showbiz life. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it just looks so much better. And the, the arches and the size and the scope of it, it just looks more expensive for one. Oh, hugely. And I feel like the whole episode has had an upgrade in tech and sets and just everything feels like it shifted up a gear to me. And I think yes. it, you, just setting the scene with that proper opening is is all part and parcel of that. I also really loved that you had obviously Kermit at the start coming out of the O and then also Gonzo has now got his trumpet instead of his mallet as well, which feels a lot more Gonzo mm. to have yeah. to have the trumpet. Gonzo's looking really well yes. after the season break. He looks a little refreshed. He looks peppy. He looks clean. <laughs> he looks like Kristen Davison and just like that. It's like <laughs> like freshly plumped up and ready to go. <laughs> I also thought the same when Fozzie came on the screen for the first time. I literally let out a little, oh, it's like he's all floofy. He's been floofed up and he looks all clean and shiny and he's got his bow and he just looks like Fozzie instead of whatever that is in the first season. <laughs> <laughs> he's had his eyebrows yeah. done. <laughs> The eyebrows make all the difference. (laughs) (laughs) They're all looking good. They're all looking... And even Piggy as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about in... Yeah. You know, but she looks so much more like the Piggy that we know. Mm. She also... Like, her hair looks more lustrous and everything too. It does. Yeah. It looks very good. Yeah. There was the little moment in the opening titles where usually we'd get the fuzzy bear joke that it instead cut to just... Wardorf and Statler just sitting down. arriving in their box. Yes. Yeah, just sitting yeah. down, which was a perfectly nice bit of scene setting. But I do assume in future weeks, maybe we'll be cutting to them and they might have a joke. Because otherwise it's just a bit of, oh, all right. <laughs> it sounded really weird to me because there was no, because there was no dialogue over that little bit of music and we just heard the music. It did seem a little bit strange. Like even if you'd heard Statler and Wardorf making some creaky old men noises of like, oh sitting down that might have just sounded a bit better than nothing <laughs> but yeah it we was, shall see <laughs> it was uh it was it was odd but yeah i'm sure it will it's a it's a template that they're putting in the little gap and they will play around with it i'm sure and then as soon as we got to kermit's introduction as well the first thing i noticed was how much closer to the camera he was mm. Mm. so much more of a tight shot than the last season would have had him doing that and I wonder I don't know do we think that's because they had advanced the puppets and so they felt a bit more comfortable with them a bit closer up because they just looked a bit nicer or is that again like the technology of the camera is a bit better because it did all look a bit crisper just a bit better quality to me than the first season I don't know. Well, I don't know what you two thought. Yeah, it's like the way that it was framed now meant there was a lot less dead space mm. above Kermit. You know, it's and I think maybe they've sort of clocked that you only need that sort of dead space when you have a human performer yeah. coming in. Otherwise, why not just cut to a you know a more tighter shot of uh, of just Kermit on his own? I did at one point even wonder, oh, is he actually in front of some sort of green screen for? the curtain instead of an actual curtain but actually I've just realised that that wouldn't work because Kermit's green (laughs) (laughs) could have been a blue screen it'd just be some like eyeballs (laughs) (laughs) just floating eyeballs and a mouth with flaps around and some rods (laughs) yeah (laughs) no I think it is I think it is still a curtain I think they just are being a bit bolder and a bit a bit more high tech with the camera work and the camera placement and playing around with it a little bit, it felt like to me, which was really nice. And we moved from a brief introduction from Kermit into 
immediate horror. Just. <laughs> Oi. Gingerbread's number, choreographed by Gillian Lynn, who choreographed Cats and like has an Olivia Award and a theatre named after her. I, I saw that name go by on the credits and I almost spat out my toes. I was like, what? <laughs> Just, I don't think she's got this on the CV. <laughs> not, not on the highlights reel anyway. No. <laughs> Emma, what did you think of the gingerbread number? Oh my, I thought it was terrifying. I found them super, super creepy. I was like, oh, I thought we were going to move away from this yes. in season two. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? It was just really, really crazy. I mean, I liked their gum, uh, gumdrop buttons. There we no. go. It's already <laughs> happened. It's already done. Emma's down. Emma's down. Emma's down. Um, but no, it was kind of creepy. It It was very, very odd. To land with such a thud and so quickly. I I was so excited logging on to Disney Plus thinking, it's time to see the Muppets. <laughs> and, and within two minutes, we're in this nightmare scenario. The, the unmoving mouths of the dancers yes. who are still responding and singing was so alarming. that Did you clock that even the laugh track didn't know what to do. <laughs> the people yeah. who were editing it were like, I guess a small laugh here. <laughs> like it, it seemed like even the editors were aware that this was upsetting. It was so strange. I don't know why the hand puppet had... Well, I get, I understand why the hand puppet had a mouth, but then why the full body costumes didn't have a mouth. It's so weird to me. And also the design choice of the gingerbread men and to go with the shape of the gingerbread men with their arms and legs out meant that actually the choreography was quite stunted as well so not only was it really creepy to look at a bit uncanny valley because they were singing but they weren't their mouths weren't moving but then there wasn't even anything particularly to look at that was exciting dance wise either they were just sort of like (laughs) wobbling around like I, i don't know it was just it was just terrible I'd love to know at what point Gillian Lynn was given those costumes. And it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, maybe she's done this beautiful kind of like choreographed, oh, sweetie Candyland, gingerbread. And then she's given these sponge and foam, unable to, like, no movement above no movement. waist. Legs can cross over, but are stuck outright like Mary Poppins. <laughs> I don't know if Gillian Lynn smoked, but I, I can see her just like out the back of the dark. Just, just quietly smoking thinking, Jesus Christ. If she didn't smoke before this, she definitely took it up <laughs> during <laughs> rehearsal. I also wrote in my notes, one of these gingerbread men would kill Emma. <laughs> <laughs> if Emma were to try and eat one of these, she would she'd be dead. Yep. I don't know how you two both felt too, but 
I just felt like it went on and on forever. Like I thought it was getting to the end and then there was another verse that came out of nowhere. <laughs> it's like, how? How is this still going? I know. And just the fact that, you know, we didn't even land the first song of the second season and we don't even land on Muppets. We're landing yeah. on creepy Muppet men, creepy yep. Muppet gingerbread men. They learned nothing. <laughs> Why did we think they would have? It's just so disappointing, honestly. So disappointing. And to even on the final shot not have that gingerbread outfit fall down and it not smash into a hundred gingerbread pieces. It just slammed onto that green that green astroturf. That fake Wizard of Oz background. Like (laughs) straight from whatever regional panto just did Hansel and Gretel (laughs) or Dick Whittington. There was no safety mat there to fall on. (laughs) But you know, I could just if you're going to do that, at least just bake a big-ass gingerbread man to break at the end. Do you know what I mean? I'm not asking for the moon. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, I do have a couple of very small tidbits about it that I thought you might be interested in, just to try and rescue Did one of the from... dancers suffocate in the gingerbread man? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're glad they didn't suffocate, though, because the dancers in the background were Jim Henson, Jerry Nelson... Richard Hunt and Dave Gould's. So you are glad that none of them suffocated or things might have been very different. Yeah. The the bit that I kept seeing again and again when I was uh, reading about this on Muppet Wiki, thank you Muppet Wiki as ever for all of your font of knowledge and inspiration. God bless. Was Frank Oz was the lead gingerbread man. And yeah. this is actually the only time that Frank Oz sang a song as a non-recurring Muppet. So you'll be glad to know the Muppet's not coming back. But Frank Oz, he never ever had a, you know, a lead or a solo as a song as a non either main Muppet or at least one that recurred. This is the only time. That's quite interesting. interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I thought so. And then the other thing that I just thought was a bit strange is this song and The Windmills of Your Mind were both written by Michelle Legrand with the Bergmans doing the lyrics. So it's the same songwriting duo or trio, as it actually was, that wrote Sweet Gingerbread Man and The Windmills of Your Mind. Do you think they got a two for one? Yeah, I think they might have. (laughs) They, like, negotiated a deal where they got it on a slightly cheaper rate. (laughs) They were like, they wanted Windmills of Your Mind, and then they were like, take Sweet Gingerbread Man. You have to, yeah, maybe they were obligated to use Sweet Gingerbread Man. That must, that's the only rational explanation for that uh, for that choice. I think so. Even just some actual puppeted gingerbread men would have been more fun. You know, maybe against, uh, you know, the black background screen. Yeah, the screen. black screen would have been mm. really yeah. good. And just doing some, like, fun little twisty-turny. I don't know. One could break a leg off or something. It, just, it was just very... An odd choice for an opener, but... It also just felt, like, so... Not even of the 70s. Like, it felt like it should have come from, like the 30s or the 40s or something maybe like because there was just so nothing to it there was no twist on it there was no nothing it was just yeah there was no anarchy or yeah no anarchy to it like if you'd had a gingerbread man actually just like have his leg break and then one of them is just stumbling around in the background or one of them loses an arm or something that would be so much more interesting than just them blithely jumping about from side to side and you know wiggling about 
And what you were saying earlier about it falling over and breaking into pieces, you could have even had an ending where a load of frackles descended on it to eat the gingerbread or something. Like, there's... <laughs> or have some, like, puppet children come in and start eating one. <laughs> like, just yes. make it weird. It's already weird, but a bad weird. At least make it a good weird. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was terrible. <laughs> have a little <laughs> diabetic Emma puppet that's doing a quick little blood test before it jumps in and bites one of the gingerbread <laughs> <laughs> it has to like go for its insulin after eating an arm. <laughs> <It's> like, oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so yeah, that that was really not a great start to the show, to be honest. Yeah. But in the season, <laughs> we quickly just land onto Statler and Waldorf after the song, whose complaint is that the seats are aiming towards the stage. Which can't disagree. Can't, can't disagree. <laughs> On this one, I was like, hundred percent. Why did I sit through that? While also trying to deal with the reign of terror coming from the squirrel. Can I just yeah. remind everyone of that? If you think about it was, the, the rain. It was bad. <laughs> I'm just going to keep picturing it as a raccoon. <laughs> it's the raccoon from Incredibles 2. <laughs> I wish I'd had Jack-Jack's laser eyes to go pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> and just the raccoon just terrified. <laughs> oh, comedy. Did anybody else clock that during Fozzie Bear's little introduction on stage, he said the phrase moving right along? Yes, I did. Yeah. Which is cute. I was just, oh, funny. Laying some groundwork. I wasn't sure whether that was a nod to Kermit. I just thought it was a funny coincidence. That's Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So we go from the creepy gingerbread man to the kind of weird 70s therapy setup, or at least what they believe is a therapy setup with um, <laughs> screaming thing. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Screaming thing. And we go into windmills of my mind. And he's a kind of crazy whirling legs and arms. And I don't really know what to say, to be honest. (laughs) Moving right along. We take you now for a trip into inner space. I'm very relaxed. I'm terribly calm and tranquil. I'm very, very relaxed indeed. On the outside, but on the inside, I'm like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, a never-ending beginning on a never-spinning reel, just like a snowball down a mountain, or a carnival balloon, or like a carousel that's turning, running rings around the moon, cause like a clock whose hands are sweeping past the minutes of its face, see that the world is like an apple whirling silently in space, just like the circles that you find there in the windmills of your mind, just like... When the introduction started, I thought we were going to go into pigs in space. Yes, me too. Because they said inner space. And I was like, oh, do they mean into space? Or is that just like what the 70s called distant space? And no, it meant the windmills (laughs) of screaming things might. Yeah, I was thoroughly disappointed when pigs in space did not appear. And then I was like, now, (laughs) now what is happening? An existential crisis is what was happening in puppet form. I feel like this should have come with a trigger warning of like, if you don't want to have racing thoughts, or you don't want to have that feeling of having <laughs> racing thoughts. I was getting palpitations. <laughs> <laughs> just, I think I might have even been gripping onto the sofa for dear life as I was watching it. Yeah. Like, when will it end? When will it end? Which, which puppeteer was doing Screaming Thing? So this was Jerry Nelson. His elocution was mm. really good. To his credit, I thought there was not one line or word of that song that didn't come out 
perfectly, which no, is very right. difficult when the pace is continuously increasing. So I was impressed with that. But unfortunately, the actual sequence itself was very uninspiring. It was so one note, wasn't it? You know, it got faster, mm. screaming things, legs were going round, and the backdrop was obviously, I'm guessing, on some sort of rotator thing, so it looked like it was moving at a million miles yeah. an hour. And for screaming things in the end, just crash into the windmill. It wasn't enough for it to be worth it. And again, I felt like this went on for quite a while because it was so repetitive. Like, oh, yeah. I also couldn't help but notice that as the legs span faster, they did begin to resemble a swastika. <laughs> <laughs> and I wondered if if I were in university, could I waste like 2,000 words of an essay trying to say that this <laughs> performance of windmills, on your mind, windmills of Your Mind is some sort of uh, uh, metaphor for impending Nazism. And <laughs> this, this Muppet is actually trying to escape, I don't know, Austria or Belgium and, and it's, it's a windmill. <laughs> you know, it's just, maybe, maybe it's because I saw Cabaret on Monday that I've just got impending, <laughs> I've got the impending Nazis Nazism on the mind. On the mind. <laughs> Damn you, Eddie Redmayne! <laughs> I just, I was just like, oh, looks like a swastika. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't thinking swastika. I was thinking more like Catherine Wheel or that kind of thing. But I can you can't see write an essay saying. about that, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can say that the uh, the Muppet Show explosion budget was cut, and so they moved to uh, figural representations of uh, exploding works instead of literal exploding explosions. I can't talk, Emma. I feel like you're rubbing <laughs> off on me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, that this number again, you know, it's no, you know, we are, we don't mind one-off appearing Muppets, you know, if their, if their shtick is interesting enough, you know, a lot of one-off Muppets made our top Muppet, you know, MVMPs for the season. But this one, the gimmick was all just something of nothing. I feel like I might have even felt a bit more warmly towards it if it had just been shorter and sharper and almost a bit, dare I say it, a bit more Wayne and Wonder-esque. Yes. That's so funny you should say that, Jade. I was thinking exactly yeah. the same thing. I was like, that would have been so good. We could have had them like on the um, windmill arms. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> or them on some sort of almost treadmill to try and evoke the, you know, the, the movement, but then it's getting faster and faster and they're just trying to keep up. Ugh. Or yeah, the windmill is too powerful and they start to get blown away. I know windmills do not work that way to quote Futurama. But... <laughs> they do if you're Wayne and Wanda. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who would have thought we got we would have got to season two and wished Wayne and Wanda win? Yeah. <laughs> this was not this was not in line with my fantasy for uh, how we would begin the second season. And I think in much the same way, uh Wardorf and Statler <laughs> <laughs> are thinking much the same thing. I mean, Waldorf managed to avoid the number entirely, which was <laughs> great, to be honest. Hilarious. The whole way through, he seemed to be paying absolutely no attention to this episode. <laughs> Having a senior moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think he just should have stayed at home for this one. <laughs> like, he paid no, no mind. No mind to the business on stage. <laughs> I wish we had, too, frankly. <laughs> Me too. Well, for this bit, anyway. I mean... The only thing that the the sort of backstage business and then the introductions, they're certainly a lot more pacey. They don't hang around for too long. However, I don't think the content has improved much. The the whole sort of 
backstage runner this week of Fozzie gets sunglasses that are too <laughs> well, dark for indoors. It, this backstage runner is weird because of the missing number. So it basically cut out a load of the backstage business as well. I've just... Have you not watched it, Lewis? <laughs> I forgot. I watched that, it. I forgot that you sent it on the WhatsApp. And I, I'll just sit quietly while you two discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. Let me let me take this back a second. So this whole episode on Disney Plus is six minutes shorter than the other episodes of the series. Because I thought it was quick. Yeah, not only is the number missing, which is a couple of minutes, but a lot of that number is tied up in the backstage runner. So they've cut out a load of the backstage runner parts. So this first part of the backstage runner is also strangely short because they've cut out part of it, which is basically the setup is that Kermit has let Fozzie pick a song for the, the Electric Mayhem to, to play, which is Lullaby of Birdland, which is then the missing number that's at the end of the show, which is missing. So basically the, the what the runner should be is that Electric Mayhem are so happy that Fozzie's picked this jazz classic that they induct him into the hip crew club, whatever it is. And that's why they give him the sunglasses. And then at the end, they need a bassist. Fozzie messes up and suggests that Don Knotts should be the bassist. Don Knotts screws it up, at which point, and then this is the very end of it, the Electric Mayhem say that he's no longer hip or cool because he ruined the song and they kick him out. Is that why we get that bizarre wipe in the yes. final? Oh! Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it happens. I did wonder. It happens several times where you get like the wipe and there's bits that are just completely cut out and missing is it because they couldn't afford this the rights to the song I, well i don't know whether it's they couldn't afford it or whether they just said they couldn't have them i don't know it's very very strange i'm guessing it is a rights issue though because obviously yeah i don't know why else you'd cut that and then have to cut so much of the runner it makes the yeah. episode extremely strange i did really wonder why weird. i got through it in such good time yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought it was a shame they cut that all out, to be honest, because I actually thought that showed more of his personality, yes. like Don's personality. And it, it was a really fun number, actually. And the fact that they cut that out and they kept Beast of the Week. Yeah, sure. Let's move on to Beast of the Week. We might as well while we're, while we're here. Um, I don't have many notes for this beyond that close up of Don when it went up his trouser leg was obscene. Like it cut, <laughs> it cut to a close up of his face that was so lewd and camp. I was like, has the puppet entered Don Knotts? I was just like, it was so just like, all it needed was like a funk. Like, I don't, it was just so weird. I didn't actually mind this sketch because I felt like. I got a sense of Don Knotts's comedic style, I suppose, from it. Skittish. Yes. <laughs> Nervous. And, and I kind of felt like I was on safer ground with this than with the Gingerbread Men and Wimbles of Your Mind. And I suppose it gave me an opportunity to basically breathe and go, yeah. okay, this is the Muppet Show. This is a the guest interacting with, sure, a Muppet we've never seen before, but a Muppet nonetheless. And... I felt like he played it well. Like it clearly played into his strengths as a performer. And yeah, okay, it's clearly not the most original or amazing bit of comedy work, but it made me smile and I didn't hate it. And I sort of, mm. I, I felt like it just clearly was very him. Again, I felt like 
okay, they're writing to his strengths, which I thought yeah. was 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 good and obviously didn't always happen last season. No, definitely. So I felt not. like the footing was a bit more even mm. with it. Emma, what did you think of this sketch? I mean, I don't know if you guys thought the same, but I wondered at some points whether he was reading cue cards. Oh, definitely. Near the beginning. Def- yeah. He definitely seemed to be like literally looking at someone holding a piece of paper. <laughs> some disinterested <laughs> stagehand holding a cigarette. And yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. And then, I don't know, I just thought the little baby monster was like a rabid hamster. Yes. <laughs> I found like the mean mama puppet quite disturbing at the end. <laughs> yeah, I c- you know, I'm no animal expert (laughs) but i can see how that little fuzzy ball of circle would grow into that creature that looked more like a a were rabbit yeah i know what you mean i guess maybe they were thinking of things like pandas that start out as like little rats and then end up as like big bears i don't know have you not seen a baby panda oh i thought i had i thought they just looked like (laughs) a a little teeny tiny panda no not when they're first born what? Hold on, let me get you one up on my phone. What happens before they're a little baby panda? <laughs> they're like little, they literally look like little rats, basically. Is it a bit like a marsupial? Because kangaroos kind of don't look like kangaroos to begin with. Emma, don't try and pretend you're doing <laughs> Yeah, well, possibly, Emma, right? He's like... Are you said? Oh, am I... Should I be Googling baby panda? No, hold on, I've got it. Have a look. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a baby panda. It's... So, yeah. Ooh. Okay. Well, that's not cute. (laughs) Not particularly, no. (laughs) That's why they're not on the posters. (laughs) (laughs) Was it Ling Ling, that panda that lived for a really long time at that zoo? I don't know. Maybe. Ling Ling? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they don't put them on the poster. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to sell tickets to the zoo with that attitude. I'm not sure Emma just being an aggressive stage mother to a baby panda. <laughs> We're going to get this panda some work done. <laughs> the zoo is hemorrhaging money. <laughs> that was the only thing I could think was that it was that sort of like, it's going to, it's going to get to like a hundred times the size of what it currently is. I've, I realised with me and mama that I think one of the things I find a bit creepy about some of those big frackly muppety monster creatures is when the mouth opens like that. Like a like a like the door of a moat. No. Yeah, a, exactly. A moat is a door. Not the door of <laughs> not a door of the a moat. The drawbridge. The drawbridge, thank Shut you. Shut up, Emma. <laughs> no, that was good, Lewis. Don't I know. <laughs> the moat is the wrong the door of the moat. But yeah, when when they have that kind of drawbridge mouth, yeah. it's weird. Right? Yeah. It's a little disconcerting. Yeah, when it when it's almost like a a, a substantial. Wait, is it overbite or underbite? If it's the lower jaw, overbite. I guess it's overbite, right? Yeah, like yeah. if you're doing a Marlon Brando in the Godfather impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah, it's quite um bizarre. It does feel like it could create a bit of a vortex that everything could just get dragged into. And yeah. She could just swallow everything without really noticing just because she's just opened the drawbridge. Yeah. Like one of those uh one of the, oh, why do I think I can reference any animal? I don't <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of one of those big big fish that just sort of open oh, yeah. and they just go oh, and yeah. just collect yeah. a bunch of little fish and then suddenly they're inside. <laughs> it's mouth. Yes. 
Exactly. <laughs> Zoology. <laughs> oh, dear. This has Speak- been a very animal, animal heavy episode so well, far. I was about to say, speaking of animals, Emma, your favourite skin is back. Yay! <laughs> Dr. Bob and Veterinarian's Hospital. Veterinarian's Hospital returns. <laughs> oh, it's just like Meredith Grey. It just keep they just keep on coming back. <laughs> they keep, the money keeps staying good, so she keeps pretending to be a doctor. <laughs> how did this uh, how did this week's uh, Veterinarian's Hospital stack up for you, Emma? It was good. I mean, it's probably not one of the like the best ones that we've seen so far, but it was fun to see. Um, it was nice to see Janice and Miss Piggy and obviously Ralph back. Of course. Of course. I thought some of the uh, the, sca- the the sort of using the screaming, what's it called? Screaming thing. Screaming thing. Oh. <laughs> Did I name this puppet? <laughs> the screaming thing to come back and them to do some more jokes relating to the to the three legs. It was quite a nice bit of continuity. Mm. Well, and it and it followed through, didn't it? Because obviously you had his number then you had screaming thing coming off of statler and waldorf's balcony then you saw screaming thing on the stretcher with the pigs in the backstage business who i thought were actually taking him to some sort of institution yes not to a hospital Uh, it didn't look you know like he was being loaded into an ambulance it sort of looked more to a padded cell There was a straight But it turns out he was going to the veterinarian's hospital, yeah. so it's fine. And then he got to veterinarian's hospital. It was like, again, that feels like a sort of through line that we didn't particularly see in season one massively. Mm. You know, we had the occasional Muppet that did pop up a few times. I'm just thinking of French bread at the moment because uh, why not? My baby. But on the whole, you know, they came, they did their number and then... Never to be seen again. They were never to yeah. be seen again. Whereas this was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Screaming Things arc for the for John Knox <laughs> episode. Where it was more consistent arc than whatever the hell <laughs> the actual B-plot was with Fuzzy exactly. Bags. These hasty edits and, and wipes. <laughs> Thanks to Disney Plus's uh, overzealous editing skills. <laughs> That was the main arc of the episode. <laughs> Janice is getting closer to the voice. I feel I, I recognise Janice now. It was quite breathy. Quite a breathy nurse. She's Richard Hunt now. So he's obviously working on Janice's voice. So we're getting there. And Piggy looks fantastic. Yeah. She does. She looks amazing. That hair was thick. It was luscious. It was... It was bouncy. It was bouncy. <laughs> it was Sarah Jessica Parker booping along the streets of New York. Just... <laughs> I love that we opened on Piggy admiring herself. I know. Was that the stethoscope? I wasn't entirely sure what the instrument was. I think it was. Or was it or was it one of those um old timey mirrors that a doctor would wear there so then the light bounces off so they can see things more? Possibly. Now you've said that. Anyway, whatever it was, I love that we opened on her being like, Yeah, I know I look good. I've got that season two (laughs) money. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a whole new pig. <laughs> a whole new pig. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fun to see it. I actually wrote down after Veterinarian's Hospital, I felt like the episode had started to gather a bit of pace, which when I then found out afterwards that there'd been a lot cut out of it, I was like, maybe that's what I thought. <laughs> you were like, it's really, really tight. Yeah. <laughs> and then unfortunately, even with that momentum, we then land on another... I mean, I'm going to assume one-off Muppet um, performing 
Burlington Bird. I think he might come back, actually, Lewis. Oh, is there more? For mat- one number, I think. I think he might have one other number. Mm. What is that Muppet? Or is he just called Burlington Bird? I think he's just called Burlington Bertie. Burlington yeah. Bertie. I'm Bert. Perhaps you've heard of me, Bert. You've had word of me, jogging along, hardy and strong, living on plates of fresh air. I dress up in fashion, and when I am feeling depressed, I shave from my cuff all the whiskers and fluff, stick my hat on and toddle up west. I'm Burlington Bertie, I rise at 10.30 and saunter along like a toff. I walk down the strand with my gloves on my hand, then I walk down again with him off. So that's a pre-existing song, obviously. That is uh, like a, an old music hall number that has been around for, for a long time. Um, I, w- I did sort of hope that in the staging we were going to get a bit of a kind of Easter parade walk up the avenue. Yes. And then all... Yes, that's what I thought as well. And instead all we got was a gentle pan across to this edge of this painted set yeah. and then to the other, which I thought was a shame. It was the UK spot. I so... Well, I assumed as much, but even so... Uh, yeah. I wasn't sure if Rolf with the puppy was the UK spot to start with. Oh, let we'll we'll get to the puppy. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. The yeah. Just for the listeners at home, you should have seen both Emma and Lewis's eyes light up at the mention of Rolf and the puppy. <laughs> oh, my heart hurts. <laughs> Just <laughs> oh. I thought it was quite funny in that Burlington Bertie song Go on, where no, he say, managed uh, to rhyme. No, give it a second run up, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> she did pretty good. I think I did quite well. Do it again then. <clears throat> okay. I thought it was quite funny in the Burlington Bertie song nice. that he managed to rhyme Lady Diana with Bionana. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> now, who would be the Lady Diana that that song is referring to? Because I don't know. Because for a moment I was like, wait, what? <laughs> but it's not. Are you, are you sure it's definitely a music school? Oh, God, I can't even say it now. Music school. Yeah, song. It's, it's, a, it's an old, old song. And the reason I know that is I remember they covered it once on Blue Peter when they did an episode about music hall. Okay. And I think either Simon Thomas or Matt Baker sang it. <laughs> it's a, it is. I I I I feel so confident. I'm not even googling, but I think Jade is. I was just checking the lyrics to see whether Lady Diana was actually a reference to Miss Spencer or whether it was a reference to someone else. Ella Shields was the original musical performer who made its name but then betty oh, grable I've got burlington bertie is a musical song cons- uh, composed by harry b norris in 1900 notably sung by vesta tilly oh okay ella shields was the one that kept oh yeah notably sung by vesta tilly i don't know oh god julie andrews has sung this song before in um Oh, she does it in the movie Star, which I've never seen. Oh, okay. So Lady Diana is referencing Lady Diana Cooper. Let me give you her full name because it's rather marvellous. Diana Olivia Winifred Maud Cooper, Viscountess of Norwich, otherwise known as Lady Diana Manners. Uh, (laughs) She was an aristocrat, well-known social figure in London and Paris, of course. course. Um, As a young woman, she moved in celebrated groups of intellectuals known as the coterie most of whom were killed in the first world war oh dear oh. uh she married one of the few survivors <laughs> buff cooper <laughs> later british ambassador to france uh-huh. i was gonna say she married the richest one did she yeah. yes she did and after his death she wrote three volumes of memoirs which reveal much about early 20th century upper class life oh what a, what a thrill. 
I love the name Winifred. <laughs> How many middle names has she got? Why has she got four middle names? Honestly. That's like when you find out that Keitha Sutherland has about six middle names, which I found out via Who Weekly. I'm going to have to find you Keitha Sutherland's uh, full name. Hang on. Okay, so Keitha... Sorry to listeners of Who Weekly who will have heard this already. Keitha's full name is Keitha William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. Wow, wow. I know. Uh, the Sutherland... The Lady Diana of his time. <laughs> Yeah, are they proper upper crust? No, I, mean, I think I don't know why they did explain it. I think you were saying about Donald, like it's naming them him after either a bunch of directors or other actors that he had worked with. I okay, think he promised fine. a middle name to a bunch of people, so he just had to reel them all off. But um, anyway, we've gone very far off topic. No, but I, I, I'm glad we've looked up who Lady. How did he say it, Emma? I've forgotten how he said it. He said Lady Diana and Banana. <laughs> I'm glad we found out who Lady Diana is because Diana. I was also like, have they just added that in now? Yeah. The um the little cut to the new audience that we have at the Muppet yes. Theatre, I particularly liked. My favourite was there's a very sort of tall, long, wide woman with a big grey wig and a massive nose who was clapping and then looking around at other audience members to encourage them to <laughs> clap <along. laughs> <laughs> who I thought was a treat. I think she may also have been wearing like a string of pearls, but I really appreciated her. She was like right in the center, <laughs> center right of the story. Bit like um, Emma Thompson at that Adele concert. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what she was like. I just like that the audience looked more full. I was like, oh, they're they're obviously recognizing their own success and mirroring the amazing viewing figures they've been getting by putting more Muppets in the audience. Yeah, it no longer Bravo. looks like it no longer looks like a, a sparsely attended fringe show. It's yes. A, <laughs> it, it, and you understand how they can afford to actually have the Muppet Theatre now. <laughs> yeah, it's not just Statler and Wardorf and whatever people they can drag off the street with a flyer. <laughs> oh, that just gave me such a <laughs> A visceral, visceral flashback. <laughs> the windmill of my mind <laughs> on the mile. <laughs> oh no, Lewis, no. <laughs> and then we cut back to a segment that I honestly did not think was going to be in this season. And I'm still not 100% sure whether it does continue much longer. But we go to the talk spot yeah. corner, don't we? Which I was not expecting to see. I loved how Fozzie entered this scene with his sunglasses on. Frank Oz's puppetry of Fozzie feeling along the bench to try and come in I know. was so cute. It's so he, he was like blind pew in, uh, oh, yeah. in Treasure Island. <laughs> Although the only thing I thought which was quite funny was they did obviously all that bit. But then at one point dur- during that, um, Don and Fozzie like high five each other. <laughs> And then it's like, and then they cut, I know, I yeah. thought they were going to hit one another or miss or the ability to see with these sunglasses was very mixed. <laughs> it really varied from one moment to the next. You can do a, you know, a precision high five, yeah. but you can't actually just see where Don's standing in the first place. I really liked Don's outfit. I knew you were going to say that. It was a great jacket, a really nice wide collared shirt. I would, I would wear that. I would absolutely wear it. <laughs> not the green sunglasses though I didn't mind this bit the bit I found the most disturbing with it was his two very large sniffs what? I don't know if you both picked up on them he did like 
he did he said a couple of lines about being hip and cool and then he sort of oh he was doing like the yes it was like a little shtick of like a a cool a cool guy (laughs) but what were the sniffs about they were so disturbing yeah i couldn't tell you (laughs) (laughs) he was apps i mean maybe he did them to undermine the fact of like he is not hip and cool because he's doing these like old man sniffs that were gross but it just really like i don't know i hate that sound anyway but i was just like oh (laughs) it's not like a very veiled reference to cocaine is it like i mean if it was it was very very veiled but i guess it probably would have had to have been in the 70s the late 70s (laughs) from what i could work out from the end of mad men where where it's like it's 1971 (laughs) and jones trying cocaine i'm like so okay i guess the the 70s were quite cocaine-y but that's or just or i suppose if you were trying to be like a i keep wanting to say like hep cat sort of that sort of indifference to authority so being a bit rude like you know, the equivalent of chewing on a, a, a cocktail yeah. stick or spitting on the ground. My only point of reference to what cool <laughs> kids do is <laughs> Greece, it seems, or West Side Story. <laughs> Aggressively clicking at one another while doing ballet moves. Doing a nice arabesque yeah. in the sky. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I did not like it. I did not enjoy it. And I did not feel that it was particularly in keeping with the rest of it. And I was like, you've done enough cuts in this episode. Why couldn't you have cut his sniffs up? They were terrible, please. (laughs) But I did appreciate uh, Don Knotts' kind of feeling his way out of the uh, the scene as well. Yeah, it was was funny. It was good. So we go from the uh, talk spot with Don and Fozzie into probably the sweetest, cutest, most beautiful thing I've ever seen on the Muppet Show. <laughs> Rolf serenading a puppy with a sleeping puppy. With a sleeping puppy. A singing, very docile what? puppy. <laughs> I know. I was a bit like, hmm, what's happened Drugs. to that puppy? I thought the same thing about it. Like, have they dosed up this dog to be incredibly <laughs> docile? You know, they just slipped him a couple of Judy's downers and just <laughs> plonked him on, uh, you know, Jim Henson's Rolf hand. Yeah. But I mean, apart from that, he was singing to the puppy, what a wonderful world. I mean, what more could you ask for? I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, What a wonderful world. And the little the little frame yes. around the edge of the, the the screen that was just kind of gauzy and in the same kind of color scheme and the little close-ups of just the sleeping puppy's face. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was just so, so overwhelmingly cute and I wanted to touch Rolf. I wanted to touch the puppy. I just, I wanted to like clamber in the middle of them, the both of them and just be held by Rolf and the puppy. I think I started weeping. It was genuinely just so soothing. I wonder if they used it as an intentional balm to the existential craziness of the first well, half of this. I think they episode. might have because that is exactly how I felt after the squirrel the gingerbread men, the whimmer of your mind, and then 
also just sort of not being 100% what was going on with Fozzy and the glasses and everything else. This was just a delight, wasn't it? It was just a... Yeah, I feel like it's something we can probably all put on to get to some sort of zen, calm, happy place in the future. Just just watch this little segment of Rolf singing. It was adorable. It was so cute. It was too cute. <laughs> yeah, I am slightly concerned about that puppy, though. I hope it was all right afterwards. I know. I did actually write on my notes, what happened to that puppy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just I thought, you know, the episode of... Uh... <laughs> friends where um phoebe gets married and <laughs> is it ross holding chappy chappy the mike's family dog yes <laughs> he leads into joey's like joey chappy's heart rate has gone <laughs> way down <laughs> <laughs> they need to wrap up this wedding <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes it was adorable and I hope that puppy had a long and happy life. <laughs> I hope so. I wonder who it belonged to. Yeah, maybe it was one of the um one of the crews or something. Yeah. Then we go to the fishy chowder. <laughs> fishy fish. In uh in Swedish Chef's kind of new uh, wood panelled kitchen set. It looked very cute. It's very fancy. Kitch. Yeah. <laughs> it looked good. It did. <laughs> Now this, I would say, is one of the best of Swedish Chef's sketches. It kind of, the fish ate some stuff. I like the end. I thought it was quite funny, and it was probably one of the rare moments in the episode where I actually laughed out loud when, you know, it just just him saying fishy fish, and then seeing that the fish was sentient and alive, and thinking like, oh, it's probably going to start fighting back, and it did start fighting back, and yeah, I mean, it didn't build to complete chaos but it just felt very Swedish chef and it was nice to see him I feel like we didn't I know we haven't recorded in ages but I feel like we didn't see him that much towards the end of last season you're saying we did oh yeah I didn't see Swedish chef much over Christmas (laughs) yeah over (laughs) Christmas break (laughs) didn't manage to catch him before the new year (laughs) he's very heavily booked hospitality is very heavily booked in the run-up to Christmas (laughs) new year you can't see your chefs and uh, your waiter friends they're they're all booked he was very busy, very busy. No, I just, I've, I'd like, I liked that he was in this first episode. It made me giggle, it made me chuckle, and that was enough. I felt like with this as well, the same as with Veterinarian's Hospital, they weren't very long, but that was okay. Like, they, they were sort of short, sharp, sweet, in, out, few, few jokes, just these Muppets doing their thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I just wanted something, I don't know, like... A couple of octopus arms to come out of the bowl, or some crabs to escape, or, or maybe even like other sea, pa- like a mm-hmm. s- fish, like a you know an anchor to come out. I I just wanted a bit yeah. a bit more whimsy, I guess, because things just fighting with Swedish Chef we have seen versions of before. But you know, the if you're making like a, a fish dish or a seafood chowder, you know, you could have had a mermaid come out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, don't forget, we are still in gingerbread territory. Like, it's still quite early days, isn't it? I'm guessing they haven't fully ramped up that just like full on chaos yet. No, that's true. I suppose so. Yeah. It doesn't stop us wanting full on chaos when it's in a controlled way and does not involve gingerbread men or (laughs) screaming thing muppets. So at this point, I assume I now have to just hand over to you two for the uh, for the moment that is actually not in the num- not in the episode. 
Yeah, so I think I'm not entirely 100% sure on the exact running order, but I think there's a bit where Animal comes on and then they find out that the there's no bassist, which is when Don needs to be the bassist. And then we have the lullaby of Birdland. Hey, all right, all you hip dudes and swinging sisters out there. Time for a great golden goodie from Fozzie's Wiggy Wonder World. Here is Lullaby of Birdland. So it's no more, my man. You must be the bass player. How'd you guess? Oh, shot in the dark. Okay, I'm cool. Well, listen, we're gonna lay down a little lullaby of Birdland on this cornball show. Can you dig it? Can I dig it? I got the music right here, man. Sweet music. I haven't seen that stuff for years. Look at that. The cat can follow the dots. <laughs> All right. Now, lullaby of Birdland. Uno, dos, tres. <laughs> was that? A lullaby of Birdland, man! <laughs> well, it sounds like the bird died. Emma, I know you sort of said about it briefly earlier, but yeah, it's quite a fun little number. Mm. And I actually, I really quite liked how much personality we saw from the electric mayhem in it as well. They don't just play it. There's a little bit of interaction between them as a band and also them with Don before they go into it, which is quite fun, I thought. Yeah, no, I thought it was quite fun. And like I said earlier, I actually thought it showed a bit more of Don's personality. Because like you said, Mm -hmm. it was good interaction with the electric mayhem because they did their whole thing of like speeding up and then there was like the smoke. And then I think Don's bass blew up at the end in kind of typical electric mayhem style. Um, But yeah, I thought it would have been a nice way to end the episode. It's a shame that Disney Plus cut it. Yeah, it is a real shame. It feels like in the Disney Plus version that we have, there's just so little of Don Mm. in the actual episode. And it's it's very, very noticeable that it's one of his numbers that that got cut like I feel like if it had been something like the windmills of your mind that got cut I feel like you still would have had plenty of Don in the episode and you probably wouldn't have really thought about it too much but because it's this that got cut you're like oh he was the guest for this week but we've barely seen him Mm. and yeah it's and also because he didn't the only real main Muppet he had interaction with was Fozzie based on what we've seen on Disney Plus whereas with this we would have seen him with Electric Mayhem as well so yeah, it's a it's a really weird choice, I guess, to have kept the episode as part of the Disney Plus running order, and mm. especially as the start of season two, but to have what was obviously meant to be like his main number not included, because it is also what ties into the backstage runner as well. Yeah, we'll have to link to the when we release the episode, we'll 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 pop up a link to the YouTube clip uh, so that our audience can watch it, and so can I. Yes. <laughs> It's worth watching, Lewis. I mean, it's not its not going to set anything on... Set the world alight. Yeah, no, it's not going to set the world alight, but it's a, it is a fun little bit. And I think, like Emma was saying, you do definitely see a bit more of his personality as well. So, mm. yeah. And then after that, we're pretty much at the end of the episode. We get the goodbyes. We get the strange little wipe that I, <laughs> I just thought, really? They couldn't have just had... Uh, um, oh my goodness, his name's gone out of my head. The little ginger chap from Electric Mayhem. Floyd? 
Floyd. They couldn't have just had a shot where Floyd walked onto stage. They had to do a wipe and then just suddenly <laughs> Floyd is here. It was very odd. It was really weird. Mm. Really weird. Don's closing line, like being square is okay or whatever. He says um, being square is beautiful. USA is a okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a bit of a, a nothing of a closer. Having watching it from my and I suppose most of the audience's perspective of not knowing there was a, a, a sketch missing, it does just sort of end uh, with a bit of a eh, which is a bit of a shame. It's very strange. It's got a really weird feel to it when you watch it through just without you know without any of the knowledge or without watching the the final number. It's it's a very unsatisfying end to the episode I guess maybe something like that yeah. like it's just a bit oh okay mm. having said that I absolutely loved Statler and Baldorf's button on the very end of the episode the awful terrible disgusting see you next week of course it felt like yeah that's the Muppet show <laughs> it felt like my attitude to this episode and then thinking well I've got 21 more episodes of exactly. this season to watch because I'm contractually <laughs> obligated <laughs> to do so <laughs> Precisely. So as we are now coming to the end of the episode, it is now time for us to decide upon our MVMP, our most valued Muppet performer. Emma, why don't you kick us off? Well, I'm going to probably guess that no one thinks that this is going to be a surprise who my (laughs) MVMP is going to be for this episode. Because quite frankly, he saves it with a puppy. It's Rolf. Yay. (laughs) Yay, go Rolf. (laughs) Emma learning from our roundup episode last year to not assume that she's voted for somebody or anything. Yeah, it's all tactical voting from day one. I'm just, I was going to say, I'm just concerned you're going to give it to Rolf every single week. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Even if he's not in it, you're still going to be like, he's still my favourite. Well, it depends how the other Muppets. Stack up. You know. Stack up. So that's it. You're just saying Rolf and that's the end of the game. I'm just going to say Rolf. (laughs) Yeah, throw it out there. How about you, Jade? Oh, well, I mean, obviously it was a bit of a strange episode because we were missing a number and a lot of the backstage runner as well. So I feel like it's slim pickings in a way for me from who to pick from. But I think I need to give it to Fozzie because I thought the the business with him with the sunglasses on was really cute. And for the most part, I feel like Frank played it very, very well. And I just also loved seeing Fozzie more floofy yes. and cuddly and bear-like. He's looking really dapper and lovely with his bow on, and I don't know. He just feels more fuzzy. This whole he looks like they, they. It looks like they've done him on a, a, a you know a, a nice hot wash with some fabric yes, with exactly. some fabric conditioner. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then sort of like made sure that he dried somewhere nice and warm and toasty mm. and all cuddly. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling like Fozzy is in a much much better place than season one so i think i'm gonna give it to fozzy because i don't know other than other than yes rolf being adorable but yeah yeah fozzy fozzy how about you lewis i'm going to continue my precedent to choosing uh little scene and one-off <laughs> muppets and i'm going to choose the the very tall woman with the gray hair in the uh audience of the <laughs> of the muppet theater because she really just stood out to me she was so tall she'd be hell to sit behind at the theater because you wouldn't be able to see around her but just the way that she was emma thompsoning her way looking at different people being like clap he was very good i uh i just really appreciated it and um, i enjoyed those little funny 
people that just pop up in the the crowds of Muppet scenes. I think they're often just little joyful tidbits. Uh, so I'm going to go for whoever that Muppet is. I will find a shot of her so we can post it on the... Uh... It's not Zelda Rose, is it? Oh my god, maybe it is. Let me have a look. I think she was in the audience, but I didn't see her moving around, so that's why I'm not... <gasps> oh my god, it is Zelda Rose! <laughs> <laughs> there you yes! go. There we go. Okay, so my vote is going to, uh, to is going to Zelda Rose for this week. I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> Great performance. Beautiful work. Beautiful, strong work, Zelda. All right, let's move on to our rankings for this week. Uh, I'm going to reverse the order. Jade, what do you want to give this week's episode? Oh, you make me go first. I'm going to go five and a half. Fishy fish. Nice. I feel like the episode was very strange because of the missing number and the backstage runner, which, you know, means I can't, well, I can't rank it too highly anyway because of the gingerbread men and windmills and just generally feeling a little bit unstable. But I also think there were some signs of life in it that felt good. I felt like they wrote quite nicely for Don Knotts. I think Rolf was adorable. I did enjoy Swedish Chef. Veterinarian's Hospital was solid. I don't know, there were some bits that I really, really could not get on board with, particularly in the start of the episode, but I warmed up to it, and actually, it was such a shame that the final number wasn't included. Probably, if that had been in with more of the backstage runner, I would feel pushing on a little bit in terms of rating. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a weird way to start the season, mm. let's put it that way, and I'm looking forward to, hopefully... I'm looking at the runtimes. I think the next few episodes are all fine. I don't think anything's cut out. So hopefully we'll we'll feel our way in a little bit better than we've been able to this week. So yeah, five and a half. Fishy fish. Uh, Emma, how about you? I'm going to give this episode five cute puppies out Ooh. of ten. <laughs> um, I don't know. I did feel like it was definitely tighter, kind of more fast paced. But then again, they did cut out six minutes. <laughs> It's so um, pacey. <laughs> so pacey. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> just, so just, <laughs> like, <laughs> just like Emma behind the camera to that baby panda. Go, faster. Grow faster. Yeah. We can't make a poster. Perform, baby powder. <laughs> baby what now? Emma? Powder. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, I definitely thought it got better in the sort of last half of the episode with... Rolf and the puppy and Swedish chef um, and even like you say it was quite nice to see the cold opening at the beginning a bit of change of pace the new opening title sequence and also you know like you said Fozzy, Miss Piggy, Kermit they all looked a lot better like their their puppets were kind of a bit more advanced a bit more vibrant you know it was nice to see they'd obviously invested and improved them so yeah, I think for the first episode, I'm going to give it five cute puppies out of ten. How about you, Lou? I'm going to go a little bit lower than you both. I'm going to give it four new opening title archways out of ten. Much the same as you both. I love the new opening titles. I love the cold open. I love how refreshed some of the puppets look. But in terms of the actual content of the episode... None of the numbers really did it for me. I missed just either the anarchy or the the whimsy or just actual just 
really intriguing puppeteering. None of the uh, acts had anything that felt particularly innovative or something I hadn't seen before or a twist. It was all just a bit, you could see this kind of anywhere. And even the puppeteering that we did see in those little numbers didn't feel worthy of the Jim Henson Muppet workshop, you know, just three legs twisting on, you know, the end of an umbrella stick. It does, it's, it's not, it's, it's, I don't know, I just, I have such high expectations for the Muppet show and the Muppets and also going into this second season thinking the writing team's a little bit different. Maybe they've learned some from some of the mistakes of the first season. And uh, maybe it's, it's, it's slightly that I, I did have a, a heightened expectation of what, how, how, fresh and improved this second season would feel that maybe I did set set those a little too high but I feel like they will they will be matched as time goes on so yeah four brand spanking new opening title archways out of 10 so as jade has actually finished <laughs> Brian J Jones's book we've now decided to rebrand this closing <laughs> feature from Muppet Philosophy to Jade's Muppet Book Club <laughs> Ooh, I feel like we should get t-shirts <laughs> you say that every time Emma and yet I do not see you facilitating merch in any way you just ask me and Jade to facilitate the merch <laughs> right Emma's being put in charge of merch we've said it now we want to get Oprah's book club stickers, but with Jade as a Muppet holding a book. I also like how generic this title is, which means that when I run out of, of Muppets and Men, we can move on to another book about the Muppets. Oh, I meant just a book. Just, yeah. I mean, if it's just going to become a book club, I've got, a, I've got another stack of gay books just piling up next to my... One of them wasn't sad, though. It was about a president's son falling in love with a prince of England. <laughs> it was called Red, White and Royal Blue. And it oh was my. so cheesy. And I loved it. <laughs> I cannot believe you are actively choosing to read Royal Blue. Red, over White Muppets and Royal and Blue, Red. Jade. Oh, it's a God. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite horny as well. Actually, I'm just going to feel like I'm usurping your book club corner just to gently make a recommendation. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I don't know how you're surprised that it was quite horny called Red, White and Royal Blue. I mean, just... <laughs> anyway, they have sex in a polo stables. Anyway, <laughs> Christ. <laughs> oh, anyway, Jade, sorry. Of Muppets and Men? <laughs> of Muppets and Men. I've just realised that would also be my perfect title for my autobiography. <laughs> what would... Of Muppets and Men. <laughs> the Lewis Chandler story. Ugh, right i'm done i'm done <laughs> i'll believe that when we press stop on the record button okay so these are just gonna be more like small tidbits from the book rather than any overarching theme particularly i will try and you know center them or make them thematically appropriate when i come across a uh, material in the book that links to a particular episode or a particular sketch or number or guest or something um but for the moment I've not come across anything that speaks directly to this particular episode. So I just thought I'd read something that I thought was quite interesting. And also, again, it's maybe quite thematically pertinent to our current times, which I'll just leave it there for the moment. Oh God! So this is from The Making of the Muppet Show of Muppets and Men by Christopher Finch. And Christopher Finch writes... 
To borrow a phrase from Monty Python's Flying Circus, one of the few television productions that have been informed by some of the same guiding principles that govern The Muppet Show, we seem to be confronted with the strange case of the end of civilization as we know it. And perhaps it is this that gives the show its basic appeal. By comparison with happenings in the Muppet Theatre, the everyday world seems almost sane. We're all in the windmills of our own mind, right? Now. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that was particularly good for this week, which seemed completely unhinged, but then also felt quite <laughs> completely unhinged in the real world too. It is. I wonder if by the time that we release this episode, Boris Johnson won't be Prime Minister anymore. We can all but dream. We can all but hope. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you so much for listening to Muppet Sational. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppet Sational on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com and you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. What a joy to be back. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again very soon. I've been Lewis Chandler. I've been Jade Turner. And I've been Emma Chandler. We shall see you next week on another episode of Muppet Sational. Bye. Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin McLeod. And our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge, who you can follow at at Charlie underscore R underscore Rudge on Instagram. That was a funny show. Yes, it was. I wonder if they meant it that way. (laughs) 